It's down just a little bit, thanks. Um, I just should say that no matter what. The lights will be dark, and I'll say, please bring the lights down a little bit. Okay, um, welcome to those who are online streaming. Uh, welcome to everybody. Here we go. Uh, as you know, if you've been coming here for any length of time, you know that the Lord has been doing... Do you know what a procedural is? Does anybody know what a procedural is in television talk? you know what that means? So, so it, think about the shows that you watch. What there is, is there's an episode which is there's a thing that happens each week that is contained in itself. If you don't know the backstory, you don't, it doesn't matter. You can watch that show no matter what. But then there's always this, I'm getting a big echo somewhere, Roger. So, um, but then there's always this sort of um, overarching theme now, right? Where there's some backstory and they catch it at the beginning at the end of every episode. So it's called a procedural, which is to say it's episodic. But then it has this backstory going on that sort of draws you in, hopefully, if you're a long-term watcher to what's going on, all right? So God's actually been doing something similar to that here. Because as you've seen now for years, he will catch a theme and will be working this theme even though every sermon stands on its own. But the sermons will revolve around a theme. So from the beginning of the year, it was God teaching us how to truly trust him. Until it just culminated in Easter with that sermon that I kind of thought when I wrote it, I went, I don't know what else you could say. Now, I'm sure God could say more. But I felt like that was probably the capstone of trust me. And then sure enough, the very next week, I'm still getting it. I don't know what it is, but oh, thank you guys for working on it. But, but at the very next week, what happened was, is that we, uh, I said, I think there's a new theme that he's doing. And it is the, if he's been teaching us to trust him, the question becomes Why? And the answer that I gave at that point in time, that week after was, I think that he's calling us to do something in terms of outreach. Reaching, in other words, in other words, if you take the disaster out of trusting him, right? We need to trust him because things are going to be bad. If you take that out of it, we still have a major problem as Christians, and that is besides Sandy Campbell, nobody actually wants to do evangelism. It scares people, Right? So you need to trust him, that he's going to meet you, that he's going to do something, that it's going to do something that you're going to love and that you're going to be glad that you did, but you've got to trust him in order to do it. Greg followed up beautifully last week with this idea. This is not hard, folks. Do devotionals, commit to it. Do devotionals. Is there another theme we've talked about more than that? Do devotionals every day. Get, it, get God into your heart at the beginning of the day, and then for the rest of the day, follow him. <laughs> Whatever he leads, follow him. And then what will happen, as he talked about was, is God will just start coming out of you. You'll just be that light in the everydayness, he kept saying over and over. In the everyday, right? This is what it is. That's all you really need to be doing. Just be with him, have his presence in you to the point that it's coming out as rivers of living water. Now, thinking that there was this theme going on, but not looking for it, I'm always, I never do that. I never sort of tailor a sermon to what I think the, the overarching theme is. I just ask, Lord, what's he want me to say? And then when he starts telling me what to say, I can go back and look at it. I, you guys, can I say something? I think it might be monitors. They're off? Yeah, it's amazing. Okay, all right. So bottom line, we're working on things, still working it out. That's all right. So, but the point is, is that, is that well, I want you to think about it this way. When God has got something that he wants to show people, usually that means something's wrong. 
Usually that means there needs to be a shaking, right? Now, interestingly, as Scripture says, shaking always begins in the house of God. Why? Two reasons. Number one, because if it's going wrong in culture, it's definitely going wrong in Christians too. Because <laughs> as much as we're not supposed to be subject to that, as much as we're supposed to be apart from that, we are part of that. And so it's in us too. And God would never come to people that don't know him and hold them accountable for something that he hasn't already dealt with with his own. We're first. If there's a problem with us, he deals with us. But here's the cool thing about that. The second thing is really cool. The reason why he comes and shakes first with us is because he's going to do that in the world too, and that's going to be unnerving. That's going to set people off. And so what he asks us to do is he comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort who? Now, think about, we think about that in terms of, oh, you've lost somebody. We think about it in that way. But think about the, the context that we're putting it into today. People that know him and people that don't. We who know him have been comforted by him. And then what are we supposed to do with that comfort? When God starts doing that in the world, go out and comfort them with a heart. You've been through it. You know what it is. You can relate, right? So he's saying when they're troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God gave us. We are his hands, his feet, his heart, his love. The same thing the Holy Spirit did with us, we're to channel, we're to be the conduit of bringing that to other people, right? So this is what he's doing, and this is this theme that he's bringing home. But before we move on, we have to note something that's kind of important. When I stood up here and I did the first week on it, I didn't want to say it, but I felt pressed by the Lord to say that be careful about that sermon two weeks ago, and I believe it's this whole theme, however long God will do it, but be careful about it because literally one day you will stand before him and I believe that you will be held accountable to the things that he's saying right now. In a certain sense, that's always true, but this is, feels different to me. Why? Because he really loves people that don't know him and he's trying to bring them in. He wants to give them every opportunity. And if we are not doing that, something happens. And let me just show you. This is, I, I asked the Lord, how do I bring that home? And he brought back to me Adam and Eve in the garden. They chose to go their own way. They walked out of the garden, right? They, I mean, they, they, didn't walk, but they were separated from the garden. And then they had two kids, Cain and Abel. Cain was jealous of Abel, so he killed him. God comes along. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? What's the answer to that question? Yes. yes. A thousand times yes. Absolutely, without any question. To the point that the Lord tells us in another place, he says, if you don't warn the people, their blood's on your head. If you do warn them, then okay, it's between me and them. But literally, I believe that we will stand before the Lord one day and he is going to be saying, did you trust me? <laughs> Meaning, did you take me? Did you bring me? Did you share me? Did you, did you go to people with who I am, filled, anointed, and bring me to them? 
So I don't, I'm not putting any condemnation on anybody when I say this. At the same time, it would be completely wrong of me to stand up here and somehow lessen the importance of this moment. Okay? Now, having said that, here's the way that I believe the Lord is going to bring this home to us today. He's going to pre- I'm going to preach a sermon that you've heard a thousand times. Nah, not a thousand, but a hundred. If you've been in church before, how many times have you heard a sermon that said, when you fail... That doesn't disqualify you. God works all things together for good, right? How many times have you heard that sermon? Tons, right? Over and over and over. Last week, you talked about it. It was part of the sermon you did last week. Can I just tell you, as somebody who's heard a hundred of them too and who's preached at least a hundred of them, wait till you hear what God's going to do with us about that point today. How is it that God can come into something that we know so well? And all of a sudden do something that is so new that takes it to a place to where it sticks. I think the reason why we need to hear that a hundred times is because it doesn't stick. Amen. Why doesn't it stick? Because in this room when you hear it, it witnesses in your heart. The Holy Spirit confirms it. And you go, yes, that's right. And it's great. And it's awesome. And you're doing a really good run up until you fail again. <laughs> and then this thing comes upon you and you just go, Right? So with that in mind, that's where we're headed today. John, you're the one that's praying for us. Love it very much. Thank you so much. Uh, again, I just want to say, I love what you do. And I love the a number of people that you reach and through what you do and the light that you are. So you're a perfect person for this prayer. So lift up this sermon. Lift up another church too, would you? Dear Father, we thank you for this glorious day and this opportunity to come together in fellowship. We ask, Lord God, that you take away our distractions and all the things that would keep us from hearing your word. We ask that you just embed your spirit in our hearts and minds and to truly receive what you have for us to get. I ask in Jesus' name that you help Kurt to relay your message to us Thank in you, a way Jesus. that will just open our hearts and mind and make us available to do your will from this day point. And we ask, Lord God, that you watch over Tabernacle Missionary Baptist Church in Seattle with Pastor Reverend El Manaway Thank and you, just Jesus. bless their congregation and give them the same gift that we're asking for us in here in this place. We ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, John. So we're going to go to Luke. Now watch what God's doing here. You know, this just, I know I pointed out a lot, but it's because I'm trying to have you see what I get to see. Last week, the key figure in Greg's sermon was Peter. Now this week, the scripture that we're in in Luke is Peter. And I'm going to be doing the same thing that he did, only we're going to, because the sermon's a different one, he took Peter to where he needed to take Peter last week, and now God is going to take us to another place using Peter. But before we go, we have to remember something about Peter in order to get the context of it. First of all, Peter is either the oldest or near the oldest of all the disciples. Now, for that reason alone, particularly in that culture, he would be looked up to by the others, right? Right? Peter's the oldest, probably. John is definitely the youngest. We know that one for sure. But the bottom line is, is that that's not actually why people look up to him. Think about it for a second. Why is Peter so prominent in all the Gospels and the early church? What is it about him that makes him this person about whom so many stories are told? 
perfect. Did you hear that? Does everything 100%. That's exactly right. When the other disciples experiencing this Jesus thing of miracles and healings and what's happening and what's God transforming us into and all this, when they look at what are we supposed to do and feel and be like? Peter, zealous, passionate, sold out, 100%, always, every time, right? Peter is at the front. Something happens, Peter responds. That's Peter, all in with his heart, with his body, with his soul, with everything. See it? So that's who Peter is, and that's what makes him a leader. That's what makes him a person that all the disciples look up to. Now watch, the scripture that comes before the one we're doing today, we're in the Last Supper, and the scripture that we did two weeks ago was, who's going to be the greatest? Let me paraphrase it for you according to today. Who's going to be the greatest with Peter? Because Peter was the given. He's the one, you know, all these things. We're going to see some of them today. He's the one. But who else is going to be great with him? <laughs> see how it goes? Peter's the one. He's the greatest. Peter's the greatest. Peter's the greatest. Now listen to what Jesus has to say to Peter. Simon, that's Peter. Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Turn back? Oh, that's a little ominous. Peter, 100%, passionate, responsive. Peter, Lord, he told him, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. This is Peter. That's how Peter responds to everything, <laughs> right? What do you mean? I'm in. You know, I... I need you to just hear a little something. I don't think that Peter is necessarily comparing himself to other people. He's not saying I'm greater. But there is a little bit of the, isn't there an undertone? I'm passionate. I'm willing to go to death for you. Will these other guys? I don't know. But I am. Just a little. Now watch. And you'll see that even more. But now watch what Jesus does. Now, remember, this is the Last Supper. Everybody, all the disciples are gathered. They've been arguing about who's going to be the greatest. Peter's the assumed. Now watch what Jesus says to him. I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you're going to deny me three times. <laughs> three times before morning. <laughs> Can you, how, okay, you're Peter. How does that make you feel? What are you thinking? What can he possibly be talking about? If you're one of the disciples and you've been holding Peter up in this lofty place and he's gonna, what does that make you feel about Peter? Well, we're gonna do something here. Jeff, come on up. Jeff Stevens is a very good actor, okay? And I've seen him in many plays. Doesn't do it so much anymore, but he does now. And he does a great no job. Pressure. I need it a little bit too, so just give me a little bit there. Okay. Now, so I've asked him to do something. He's not going to act, Peter. But when Peter says anything from here on out for the rest of the sermon, he's going to say it. But he's not just going to say it. I'm asking him to be sort of the Tom Hanks everyman, where he's sort of, he's the sort of guy who is taking on and, and responding as Peter for us to help us have some sort of a, a deeper emotional connection to what's going on in Peter. Because the truth is, in Scripture, there's this tremendous, what they call in drama, a character arc. 
And it means that a guy starts in one place and goes through something that brings him to a very different place. Like totally transformative. 180 degrees from what he was. Okay? So that's what Jeff is going to help me do here throughout the sermon, okay? So now we're going to do some sermons and we're coming back to this first. I just want you to see something, a pattern about Peter. So here's the first one. Jesus insisted they've fed people and they've a big crowd and he insisted that the disciples get back in the boat, cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell and while he was there alone, Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from the land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy seas. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once, no, it's not. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I'm here. Now, You've got to do this. If you're going to get what God wants us to get out of this, this deeper thing, you've got to enter into the stories here. So the thing that I want you to do right now is you're in that boat with the disciples. You're in a storm. You're scared. You're wondering if you're going to drown. All of a sudden, here comes Jesus walking on water. What do you say next? Go ahead. I'm not going to do a microphone, but just yell it out. What do you say next? Help. <laughs> Help is a good one. Help is a good one. I got another one. What? Save me. I got it. But okay. But, but I want to, I want, uh, here's, what, here's what I say. If I'm in that boat, it's clear to me what I say. Jesus, get in the boat before you drown. <laughs> right? I get that most of every, we responded concerned for us. But I want you to see, you would also be concerned for him. It's a storm, we're drowning, and he's walking out there on water. He's going to drown. Right? I get it, because you guys are all so spiritual. I'm the only unspiritual one in the place. Okay. Yeah, well, there you go. I can tell you, I can tell you this next thing that we're going to see. There is an, if you had, didn't know the rest of the story... I promise you there's not one person in this whole building, I think. I'm just, maybe, maybe Paul. But I don't, Paul Weston. I just don't think that there's anybody who would do this. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. I don't think that occurs to anybody. (laughs) I think even the disciples are going, what? (laughs) What? Say that again. No, don't say that again. (laughs) See what I'm saying? Nobody does this, right? Nobody does this. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat. What? It was a storm. They were afraid of drowning two seconds ago. And now he's getting out of the boat in the middle of the sea. He's a fisherman. He gets it. This is not okay. (laughs) Got it? He went over the boat 
and walked on the water towards Jesus. But, now there's always a but to Peter. Not always, but we're going to see lots of buts with Peter, okay? And there's this but. Like, he gets out of the boat and he walks on water. Unbelievable. We're all looking, going, oh my God, he's walking. We get Jesus walking on water. But Peter? Right there, stretch. Big stretch, right? But then, but... When he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. Now, wait a minute. You have so little faith? The guy that just said, call me out of the boat, and then got out of the boat and walked? You have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? Let me put it in the terms that we're using. Why didn't you trust me? Of course, he did trust him because he said, save me. But you catch the drift? Why didn't you keep trusting me? Now, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see that there's always a but with Peter, almost always. But that, that I, I can't, you keep using the word but or it'll become a thing. People will start texting it. So, you already did. You already texted it. Okay. Did you, did you hashtag it? Yeah, hashtag B-U-T-T. Okay. All right. Uh, there's a sorry, but I just got to tell you. There was a guy at Christ for the Nation who was from Russia, and he didn't get the play on, he didn't get the play in meeting. And so his whole sermon was about the big butt. <laughs> Very hard to hear. Okay. Okay. But so here's what you see. And, and I, what I want us to do is I want to say, but look what we learned from what Peter did, even in the mistake. In fact, without the mistake, we wouldn't have learned part of what we had to learn, right? So it goes, because of Peter, we learn to keep our eyes on Jesus. Is there a more powerful story that tells you to keep your eyes on Jesus than this one right here? Right? You're going to drown. You're going to sink. When we do, we can walk on water too, no matter what the storms are in our lives. When we look at him and him alone, not the world, not the circumstances, not everything else that would try and distract us and get us off of Jesus, when we keep our attention, our affection, everything about us on Jesus, you float over no matter what's happening too. You stand on top of it instead of it drowning you, right? Now, that sermon's been preached a thousand times too. Okay, let's do another one, okay? So, Jesus took Peter and his two brothers. Now, wait a minute. Who did he take? And who was mentioned first? Peter. Interesting. James and John led them up on a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. And Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful to be here. If you want, I'll, I'll build a shelter uh, as a memorial for you, and uh, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Now, the scripture tells us in other versions, he said that because he couldn't think of anything else to say. In some circles, you would say, then don't say anything. <laughs> right? Right? If you don't have anything to say, don't say something. Don't feel like you've got to say something. Just process it like the other two did, right? But in this instance, what ends up happening is 
he blurts that out. Now, this is tough because, you know, it's the father himself who reprimands him, reprimands him this time. As he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed him, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Now, listen, listen to him. Peter, you got plans, and you're going to go off and do something else, and you're going to miss the point. Just do whatever he tells you to do. Don't get wrapped up in, oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't be pointing at you, should I? Don't get wrapped up in all that other stuff, right? Just listen to him. Now, quite apart from the fact that we get to hear the father saying, he's my son, which is pretty cool, what's it actually teaching us at a deeper level? Because of Peter, we learn to follow Jesus only, not anything else, no matter what it is including our own understanding, including whatever we might do to do something good for God. Don't do that. If he tells you to do it, do it. If he doesn't, don't. That's the only way we can truly discover that Jesus really is God's well-pleasing son. Because when you only do what Jesus tells you to do, which is, by the way, what he said he did, right? I only do what I see my father doing. I only say what I hear him say. When you do that, then you see God move. You see what it is to please the Lord because you're following him. And when you follow him and you please him, wow, you really come to know what it is to be his son too, his daughter too. Do you see it? So that's pretty cool. Peter's teaching us a lot, even in his butts. Now, this one we've done already. This is the washing of the feet. So I'm not going to go back and go through the whole story. But you remember at the final Last Supper, he's washing the feet, but we've done about three or four weeks in a row. So when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied. Now, listen to what Jesus is saying to him. This is Jesus talking to the particular person, Jesus, who always says something. And he's trying to get him, in a sense, not to say anything. Watch this. You don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. In other words, just be in the moment, right? Is Peter? No. You are never, ever going to wash my feet. <laughs> and then Jesus says to him, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Now, what do we learn from what Peter did there, even though it was, you know, difficult, Right? Because of Peter, we learn that Jesus cleanses us. We can know that from the Old Testament, but at this point in time in the New Testament, we don't understand that Jesus is going to the cross, even though we're literally 24 hours within him doing that. But right here, because of this, they'll now see the cross differently. Particularly later, when they look back and they see that he washed their feet and he said, you have to be, right? And in fact, it goes to this step. Without that, we can't be with him. See, you need the cross. You need to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Well, this is pretty good stuff. Let's just do one more before we go back to our big one. Now, when Jesus came in the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, oh, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Why is he blessed? 
Why is he blessed? Tell me. Because God's talking to him. God revealed something to him. Blessed are you, Simon Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. He dumped information, understanding into his head to where he could answer properly. And I tell you that your Cephas, this little rock, this stone, but upon this rock, not Peter the rock, a little stone, but upon this boulder, Petros, upon this much, much, much bigger thing. What's the bigger thing? Yes, but revelation. How's God going to build his church? On Peter the man? No, Catholic. Not that that's, but whatever. Jesus, what he's going to build his church on is revelation. He's going to reveal things to us. And then when we do them, he's going to build his church through that. Upon that giant boulder, I'm going to build this church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then he says some other things. Now, at this point in time, what did we learn? Because of Peter, we learned about the absolutely critical role that revelation from God plays. Can I say something? I'm sorry. This is just a little pause, okay? Important. I'm not, uh, if you say you're not doing something, you're doing it. God, help me say this right. I can't imagine not going to a full-on charismatic church. To be clear, I also can't imagine going to a full-on charismatic church that is overly charismatic, hyper-charismatic, and rolling in the aisles and picking up snakes and stuff. I wouldn't want to be there either. But can I say something? I can't imagine living a Christian walk that doesn't have to do with the Holy Spirit revealing things to me all the time. I can't imagine being in a body where that isn't the point. Because that's what a walk with Christ is. Amen. It's not Amen. the Bible. It's the word writ on your heart, playing out in the same way it did in Jesus, the Holy Spirit coming through you. People that don't have the benefit of the Holy Spirit speaking to them all the time. I just, I weep. It's, it's having a beautiful car and taking the gas out or throttling it to first gear. You can drive, but... You see it? I'm just telling you, this revelation from God thing is everything. It's, it's everything. God, help us all. Help every church come into a place where the Holy Spirit is leading and is guiding and help every pastor come into an understanding that their role is simply to facilitate the Holy Spirit leading and guiding. Help every Christian come into a place where they understand that it's all about learning, about going to you, devotions, and so on, to get to the place to where we live our lives as being led by you. As you said, I do what I see the Father doing and I say what I hear him saying. God, let that be our lives and nothing but that. Not us, not circumstances, not anything else. Let us be people led by the Holy Spirit as was Jesus. In Jesus' holy and precious name, thank you, Lord. Yes, God. Thank you, Lord. And we learn about that critical role that Revelation plays. We also learn something else, though, through all of these stories. That the person willing to stick their neck out ends up seeing and understanding more. You don't learn when you sit back in a comfortable place and just watch. You actually learn something from watching Peter do these things. But do they learn the same thing that Peter learns being in the middle of it, stepping out into it and doing that? 
Now, by the way, let me say something. Peter's obviously an extrovert, and there are introverts. I got it. But that doesn't mean that introverts can't step out in their way also and be willing to step out. The person that stands back and observes is an observer. He wants participants. That's where you're going to grow. That's where you're going to learn. That's where you're going to go in. And so you go in in the way that he built you. It doesn't mean you have to be boisterous and always responding and saying things because you don't know what else to say. You can be introverted. You can be appropriate and thinking about it. But you've got to be saying, yes, Lord. You've got to be stepping into yes, Lord. You've got to be stepping into the things that he's leading to you. Because when you do that, that's where he can get a hold of you, do things through you that you go, well, heck, that's a lot better than what I was doing. I'm going to start living that way because that's better. See it? So with all of this, we've learned a lot from Peter, but you know what? We're about to learn the greatest thing of all. Watch this. This, this story that we're about to tell from beginning to end, I think is, do you know what pathos is? I'm using a lot of drama terms today. But pathos is, it means the emotive content. It means the, 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 the emotions of a thing. To have a lot of pathos is to be watching a show or to be experiencing something that has tremendous empathy and emotions flowing and, and you're identifying, but you're not just identifying over here, you're identifying with and you're connecting to and it's going on in you too. There's tremendous pathos in this and now watch this. From that time, I might have missed something here. I did. From that time, begin to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes. This is one more story, sorry. And be killed and on the third day be raised. But Peter, I love this. Peter took Jesus aside <laughs> and rebuked him. <laughs> I love Peter. Oh my gosh. This is, <laughs> this is hilarious. Jesus, Peter takes him aside, you know, privately. Jesus, you got this wrong. <laughs> Go ahead. Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Right? What do we learn from this one? Because of Peter, we learned how critical it is that we follow Jesus and not ourselves. We're learning a lot about ourselves through Peter. Now I'm going to this big one. So now we're back to the passage, and we've got another line by Peter here, because Jesus has just said, you're going to be sifted like wheat. And Peter's response to this is? Lord, I am ready to go with you both prison and to death. Can I make something very clear? Peter meant that. Yep. When he said that, he meant that with every fiber in his being. Come next week, and we're going to be delving into this moment right here in a deeper way about spiritual warfare and just getting it right in the Lord and how to actually get it right. But bottom line is, Peter meant this. When he said this, he had no idea. Until the Lord said, look, he says to Peter, who absolutely mean this, look, before the cock crows, before morning, you're going to deny me three times. Again, how does Peter respond to that? But sure enough, what happens? Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came over and said to him, you were one of those with Jesus the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. 
Later in the gate, another servant girl noticed and said to those standing around, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I do not know the man. And later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. You can, we can tell by your Galilean accent. And Peter swore. A curse on me if I am lying. I don't know the man. Now that moment right there. Every life has a moment. And this is the moment for Peter. Immediately the rooster crowed and suddenly Jesus' word flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times that you even know me. And he went away weeping bitterly. What are we learning from this failure? Watch this. When they had eaten breakfast, this is, I love what Greg did last week, by the way. I'd never seen it before, and I love that you said this. Jesus had appeared by the time they got to them fishing in the boat after Jesus had been resurrected. They didn't know what to do, and they were fishing, and they didn't have any feet. Hey, did you catch any fish? No, no, been a bad night. Throw your nets on the other side, and they can't even pull them up. Oh my gosh, it's the Lord. Peter dives into the water. Do you know at that point in time, Jesus has been with them three times? And he's never addressed the Peter thing, the denial. Think about that for a second. When do you want it addressed? First time you see him. When you see him in the upper room, he pulls him aside that time and says, help me. <laughs> you want it addressed now. But Peter, as all of us, doesn't feel that he hardly even belongs anymore. How can he pull Jesus aside and tell him anything now? Look what I did. And so Jesus is there and doesn't address it. Oh my God, it's worse than I thought. It was as bad as I thought. And worse, because that makes it worse. And then he sees him again. And Jesus is doing stuff for people, Thomas and so on. But he's not doing anything for Peter. But then they go fishing and Peter jumps in the water and swims in. And when he gets there, Jesus is cooking. And when they'd eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, remember this always, this is, I'm just going to say it because it's a minor point, but it's important. Three denials, three times, Jesus responds. Jesus goes after him. Each one. When they'd eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now look at the question. More than these, what would, Jesus have, what would Peter have said to that and all the disciples? Here's what Peter would have said. Do you love me more than these? He would have deferred. Oh no, they love you too. But in his heart, what did he think? And what did the other disciples think? Did Peter love Jesus more than everybody else? Did he? All the disciples would have said yes. Look at his zeal getting out of boats and, and saying things and proclaiming the Christ and being told he's a rock and all, of course. Yes, of course, Peter loves us more. Peter loves Jesus more than anybody else. And Jesus goes right to that point. <laughs> Jesus is such a surgeon. Precision. He goes right to that point. Do you love me more than these? After the denial, what can Peter say to that? No chance. Now there's a second thing that's in play here, and, and you made mention of it last week, Greg, but it's, we're using it this week because it's important this week. 
Love here, Jesus is saying, do you agape me? What's agape? Self-sacrificial, all about the other person, all in, 100% zeal, passion, all about the other person, not, no thought for yourself. See it? Nothing about you in this. This is a, just an overwhelming passion of love for the other person to the point of death, which is Jesus on the cross. That's agape, right? But there is another kind of love that's also rightly translated love. It's not friendship, but it is philos, and it means Philadelphia, phila, philos. Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. There is this love that has to do with two people for one another that is much less in passion, much less in zeal than agape is, but it is still very genuinely love. You see it? But it has to do with mutual benefit, okay? It's, it's not so much just totally oriented and self-sacrificial, okay? So what Jesus says is, do you agape me more than these? What can Peter say? Yes, Lord. You know that I love Philos, you. I think when Peter said that, he was hoping it would slide. Because they're both love. Agape is actually a little, little used word at that point in time. So I think he was hoping it would slide because he knew in his own heart he couldn't say yes to Agape. But he does love him. Now Jesus says, feed my lambs. By the way, I love lambs there. That's how he thinks of us. Isn't it tender? Loving, caring, right? A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? No more about more than these. Now he's focused in on the response that Peter gave, which was philos to an agape. He's saying, do you agape me? Yes, Lord. I love Philos you. Now, I think that this is where he's hanging his head in shame. I think he's answering this question now with this. He knows that Jesus has made a point about agape. And he's answered with a Philos. Because he cannot in good conscience say Agape. Shepherd my sheep. Jesus, wait a minute, I'm one of the other disciples now. Not him. Don't you remember how he denied people? Don't you remember all the mistakes that he made? Don't you remember all these things that he did? He's not the shepherd. We're the shepherd. One of us gets to be the shepherd. Hasn't he disqualified himself at this point in time? How can you tell him to shepherd us? We didn't deny you. And he asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you philos me? Oh, man. Peter's grieved that he asked him, do you philos me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I philos you. I, it was one thing to be there and three times deny him. And on the third one where he said, 
curse on me if, right? That's one moment. Is this one worse? In front of everybody, he's been the zealous, passionate. It's not an ego thing here anymore. Don't think of it in arrogance and he wants to be better than other people. At this point in time, he just wants to be even in the same crowd, in the same room. And Jesus has just busted him completely. Completely. This third time when he's busted regarding agape versus philos, Peter walks with a limp for the rest of his life in that moment right there. For the rest of his life, he'll walk with a limp. But it turns out that walking with a limp is a really good thing. This is what makes him a true elder. You know what? You, you know what we do not need as Christians and our leaders? This is how you do it. Do it like I do it. Get your act together. Do it right. You know why that doesn't work? Because we've been trying to do it right. And we keep failing and we don't have any idea what to do. We do not need somebody to come and lord over us and make us feel even worse about our inability to do the right thing in the right way. We need somebody who will come under us and wash our feet because they too have failed. Because they too know what it is to fail. And they have learned about this thing from God called grace. And in that grace they have actually found increasing victory. But it's not about the victory, it's about the washing the feet and encouraging somebody and telling them, hang in there. I love you. God loves you. I want to wash your feet and I want to lift you up and I want to bring you back into his presence again, pure and holy, knowing and not being condemned and be able to walk with him again. I want you to learn what grace is. Can I tell you about three years ago? I'm 61 now. Three years ago, that makes me 58 years old and we were doing Luke and I stood up here and I think I kissed your feet because I did the woman who kissed his feet. I actually kissed his feet. Oh my gosh. Lord, forgive us. Yes. But can I tell you what the Lord did to me in that sermon? I still remember it to this day. Because I felt like for the first time in my life, having taught about grace and lived in grace and truly ministered from grace, I've never been a pointy, over-domineering pastor. I've never been that way. I'm not saying some people don't think I'm pushy, but, you know, Okay. <laughs> But I've always been, I've always had the attitude of servant and so on. But I got to tell you, for myself, it wasn't until that sermon that God did something in me and he showed me what grace was. That grace is infinitely larger than anything else. It doesn't, I don't even hardly want to call it love. It's clearly love. It's clearly love in its greatest expression. But it's so much more than love. What I learned was a grace. I learned God cheering for me, wanting me to succeed when I don't, being there to wash my feet and lift me up, cleanse me, move me again. Just, you know? And it's not one time and then 10 times, but 100 times, but at 1,000 times, he sort of decreases how much he's trying to help you because you're just such a schmuck. It was the millionth time to find a God that loved me completely without any thought of any failure. Knowing him, 
but not having that affect his love for me at all. Just trying to help deliver me. Get me to get it. So that I could go out and comfort people with what I had been comforted in. See it? That's what we need. That's what makes him this true shepherd. That's why everyone, including the disciples, looked to him. It's not because he was zealous and 100% in and boisterous and responsive and all and extroverted and all that. That's not why they looked to him. You know why they looked to him? He loves you. And everybody knows how much he failed. And what he's doing now is taking care of us as we fail. It's not to give us a license to go out and fail all we want to do. That's how people pervert the word that Paul says, right? This is in Galatians where he, or in Romans where he says, does this mean then we should go out and sin more? Of course not. But do look at this. Feed my sheep. After that third time, when it's philos and philos, Jesus' response to him is, Feed my sheep this good stuff that I'm giving you right now. When you come around on it, you understand what's actually happening here. You will be emboldened. Feed my lamb, shepherd my sheep, feed my sheep. Because of Peter, we learn how critical it is to stay humble. We learn that humility is the only way to truly get to his will and his will only that if we don't recognize it, no matter how much we're doing in the Lord, that we can get it wrong in an instant at every single moment. If we don't stay in a place of bent knee and earnest prayer, if we don't stay in a place of receptivity to what the Lord is saying to us, if we don't stay in a place of humility, we cannot get to his will and his will only. We will always insert some filthy rag of our own. Every single time. You know what? Peter becomes, he was the chief amongst disciples, right? Well, look at Acts, because you know what he becomes? The head of the church. Eventually, James takes it, but Peter's the initial guy. He's the one that preaches on the day of Pentecost. Peter's the guy. Now, he still makes mistakes. Even then, it's not like he did something really horrible and got really bad and then everything was good from then on out and he got everything right. It gets so bad that at one point, Peter comes to Antioch and Paul says, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. Now, if somebody tells you that you're very wrong, how do you feel about them? Even if they're right. Don't you feel a little defensive? Well, let me show you how a man who has, walks with a limp who's been humbled, responds. Because Peter got that he was right and even writes in one of his letters regarding Paul, our beloved brother. You know, the guy that had to rebuke me. He's our beloved brother, Paul, who wrote to you the wisdom that God gave him. Wait a minute, I thought Peter was the one that had the big revelations. Speaking in these things in all of his letters, some of his comments are hard to understand. Peter's the one that's supposed to be getting this, and he's saying, Paul's bringing me stuff that I don't really get at the very beginning. <laughs> and he had to rebuke me about something, and thank God that he did, because now that he did, 
I can actually be that apostle to the Gentiles more so. Those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different. Listen to that. What's he talking about? That's what they did to him, Peter. Those same people came to him and twisted his understanding so that he wouldn't eat with the Gentiles. But having experienced that, he's now saying, Paul was right to call me out on it. Listen to what he has to say. Do you hear the humility of this man? Do you hear that he's not letting his ego get in the way at all? Instead, what he's doing, he's 100% oriented to what? Wherever God is, however he is, get me right with him. Because of Peter, we learn that not only do our failures not disqualify nor earn us something less than his best for us, we learn that our failures are what make us valuable. To who? This is back to our theme. It makes you valuable to other people. Feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep, feed my sheep. Right in the passage that we read today, when you have turned back, I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail, but guess what? It's gonna. And when you come out the other side, do what with it? Strengthen these other guys. Strengthen these disciples. Because they're going to walk through their own areas, their own failures, their own things. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be given, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. Because of Peter, thank you, Peter, we learn that our failures actually equip us for our purpose. Now, we knew that. You've heard that. But I hope that you got it. I hope that a living word came into your heart right now and that forevermore, every time you fail, you will think about Peter, the one who failed all the time. And God taught us so much through it. But it wasn't just that you're a negative example to others. It's that it makes you qualified to go out and minister to others to make the crucial difference. How does a person who's in guilt and shame and condemnation ever get out? Somebody who understands it perfectly coming and telling them that God isn't mad at you and you're not disqualified. And not only is it not second best, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, redemption is when a thing comes back out that's equal to what went in. Resurrection is where something happens that wouldn't have happened unless something really bad happened. If we hadn't killed Jesus, he couldn't have saved us. If Peter hadn't made these mistakes, he would have never been the person who could bring God's love and grace. Not like he did. So Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, thank you. Praise you. In Jesus' holy and precious name, I'm asking you, Lord, that you would take this sermon, 
that you would get me out of it completely and that what you would do is, is that you would drill this and bring this and imprint this and bring this so strongly and so beautifully into every one of our hearts that we absolutely never lose it. That it becomes as much a part of us as the fact that you love us, as the fact that you are God, as the fact that you died for us and washed us clean. That as much as we would know that at every moment in time that we would know this about our failures and that is that you are not only not thrown off by them and not only do we not throw ourselves off by them but that when we are oriented to Jesus when we are oriented to you that you take that stuff and you make us more than we would have ever been without and so in Jesus holy and precious name thank you Make us, make us, make us the fullness. Don't let us disqualify ourselves when you haven't. Let us embrace you because that's what you're doing. In Jesus' magnificent name, pick up this cup.